and welcome to the Stalport Rugby Club podcast. Uh, this week we are joined by our regular guest, uh, Mr. Will Giddings. Hello, sir. Hello, and as always, we are hosted by Mr. Dave Howard. Uh, how are you, mate? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Um, first and foremost, how are you? How was Christmas? Um, you know, did you manage to enjoy any of it, as it were? Yeah, I think it was okay. I well, I, I enjoyed it. I, if you're with your family, I was with my like, obviously my wife and kids, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot quieter than normal, but um, I think if you can't enjoy Christmas, then there's probably something wrong with you, unless there's something drastically wrong. But having to stay home with family sounds about perfect. Yeah, no, I was uh, exactly the same. Um, just the wife and the kids, and actually, it was quite a, a a nice chilled day, as it were, rather than having to worry about going here, there, everywhere, and, and seeing multiple people. Not that that's not nice, also. Yeah, I, I fully I fully agree with you. Um, so obviously coming into this week's pod, um, it's the, the first proper one of the, of the new year. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, this week, we're going to start off with the, the state of the amateur game. Um, now, obviously before we, before we kind of break it down and really kind of chew the fat on it, I just want to give us a, a kind of a brief recap and overview as to what's happened kind of within the last 60 days, you know, probably starting kind of tail end of October into November, the, the RFU announced that the the season on the grassroots level would be cancelled. There will be no more um, season as we know it, um, but there would potentially be a continuation of the 10v10 touch games. Um, we then go into a, a four-week lockdown and coming out of that, I think it took kind of everybody and their brother by, by surprise, really, in that we come out of that to being greeted with full contacts back um, and we could play 15-a-side full contact matches um, as long as uh, we didn't scrum and there was essentially quick ball from the breakdown, um, which, considering four weeks previous, the season had been cancelled, kind of took everybody, as I say, by surprise. Um, and now, obviously, into the new year, we're back into a national lockdown, um, which I think which made it even more surprising about the contact coming back. Um, and subsequently, all rugby is obviously uh, cancelled again. Um, and we don't really know as to what kind of format or what kind of, um, you know, level as such we're, we're going to be getting back. Um, now... Firstly, I mean, I think that's an absolute crazy, as I say, 60, 70 days, absolute crazy changes um, and really quite confusing. But, I mean, taking us back to the very start um, when it was announced that the season was ending, um, what, what did you kind of feel? Did you, did you think it was the right decision? Did it surprise you? What was your kind of take on that? Uh, I think with this issue of whole, whole rugby and the COVID pandemic is, Obviously, a very serious situation with thousands of people dying every day and hundreds, well, tens of thousands getting infected every day. I think the main problem I found with it was, I know it's almost daft and dramatic, but it's like the morality of rugby in this time. Like where I live, Stalport, I know, I'll get back to the whole cancelling of the season, season, but before this lockdown now, we were in tier three, which means... I can't go out, I can't go to the shops unless it's unnecessary. I can't go to the pub, I can't socialise with friends, but I could go play full contact rugby. And 
it was baffling. And with the cancelling of the season, I, I know it was disappointing. It was gutting, but I just think it's the right thing to do. And I think almost like you see a dog chasing its tail, we sometimes think the RFU is doing that with the amateur game in rugby at the minute. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I, um, with regards to the season ending, I, I personally, actually, it did surprise me. Um, and, I, you know, I must say up front, I thought it was completely the correct decision. I thought it was the right decision. I thought, actually, it could have been made a lot earlier. Um, but it surprised me in the sense of the RFU had kind of been very vocal on, actually, we're, we're looking for continued opportunities. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. And, I did think they'd perhaps give it to kind of January, maybe start of Feb before they made a, a definitive decision. Mm. Um, but as I say, I, I, I totally think it was the correct one and actually could, could have been called earlier. Um, with regard... I think, they, Go on. I think they potentially did it because maybe at the top end of the amateur game, there is unfortunately a fair bit of, ma- fair bit of money involved in it. And maybe by cancelling it early, they gave these clubs to almost financially solidify themselves by being able to maybe end contracts early, not have the expenditure by cancelling the season, if that makes sense. No, yeah, that is a, is a fair point, actually. Um, getting on to the um, the full contact bit, I mean, as you said, the morality of it. I, I mean, as you know, I, I've actually been very, very vocal on this subject. Uh, and it's a subject that actually, or a point with it actually, that really kind of hit me hard. And mm. I, I really struggled with it, if I'm honest, because I, for, for two reasons, really. Um, one, uh, and, you know, again, as you know, I was very vocal on the fact that I didn't understand how, how players, not just, you know, at Starport, across all clubs, I didn't understand how any player generally thought after doing 12 months of no contact whatsoever, they were going to be able to go actually straight into contact sessions and then be contact ready um, mm. for matches, which they, the RFU announced could happen as of the 18th of December. Um, and as I quite, as you know, quite vocally said, I'd love to have seen the injury stats because, yeah. you know, for me, I thought it was going to be astronomical. And actually, we both know a player that has had potentially career-changing injuries because of it. Um, and then the second point is, you know, as you say, the morality side of it. Again, it, it baffled me that. You know, I, I couldn't go and see, you know, and I've always worked from a logical point of view and try, you know, try and explain it logically to somebody. You know, imagine somebody's just woke up from a coma and you're explaining it to them. How could you logically explain and that person couldn't see their family, couldn't go visit their nan, potentially couldn't see their parents, um, you know, could, <laughs> couldn't go to the park, yeah. whatever it might be, but could, but go, I just... could go to a rugby club and... And play against fifteen blokes they'd never met for yeah, and it just baffled me. I, I couldn't, and I couldn't understand a why people would want to do that, but b how no one could see it from that perspective of I can't see you know I can't do any of these things I can't see all these people I love and and hold dear, but I can go and risk playing fifteen blokes I've never ever met and yeah I can't hug my mum and dad but I yeah. get some some strangers sweat and spit in my face. <laughs> that was perfectly fine. Yeah, I just... I found it astonishing. But, you know, I mean, as I say, I mean, what, what was your take on the contact side of it? I'd love to know whether, you know, I know I probably come across as a grumpy old git and a bit cynical, but, you know, what, what was your take on bringing the contact in after such a long period without it? 
Well, I don't necessarily think it's potentially the RFU or the the club's fault. We're not going to get political in this podcast, but what's the government doing? What? How is there just a loophole that they're they're finding? I just I just don't. They bang on and on about the strain on the NHS, but by having full contact rugby, you're putting even more strain on the NHS. Not just good COVID, but because of the injuries that will and have happened. I I just it absolutely dumbfounds me that. I fully understand why at that time the clubs are like brilliant. If I was running the club, I'd be over the moon. Complete makes complete sense. But me personally, I completely understand why people were excited and want to go play. Fair enough. It was brilliant for them. I'm happy for them that that happened at the time. But for me, it was just absolutely baffling. I just I just don't understand it. You know, mm. you know what I mean? Again, I, you know, I want to make it clear. I, I, I'm all for rugby coming back. I'm all for yeah, so rugby coming back. You know, I, being a head coach of a club and anything else, I, I can't wait to get back to it. And it, you know, it's, it's it's something I love and hold dear. But uh, you know, as I've said, and I've, again, I've been quite vocal on it. Sometimes there's there's something just that bit more important, if you know what I mean. And yeah, I fully agree. Just, just astonishment. Um, but then again, you know, as I say. That happened, and I know some games happened kind of from the 18th on, and I know, as I said, some people got injured and uh, and whatever it was. But then we've now gone into a full lockdown again, and and actually I'm quite intrigued to see if and when we come up this lockdown, how rugby returns, because I don't know how they can justify coming back in at the end of the roadmap into full contact again. You know, I, I, I don't know how they can justify that but then equally how do they go back on what they've said by bringing it in already if that makes sense so I'm really really intrigued to see how it comes back you know and, and what how do you think it's going to come back uh, I, I generally not just say this I generally have no idea I don't see how in February you've got to lay the ground the ground like almost not the ground rules but the facts are at the moment that furlough is being extended to April the government's basically said it's got to get extended from February. Just be ready for that. And I think it's potentially the RFU having to, at the end of the day, I don't want to be, again, a Debbie Downer. I don't think the RFU has much concern for the amateur game, to be honest. I think as long as the premiership's on, then they're happy. And the RFU and the amateur game is just an afterthought because the reality is, I think I watched three, four games on the weekend or maybe two or three, and they only spoke about one player coming up from the championship to play for the six teams I watched. Now, obviously the amateur, obviously the championship is still amateur, and I know it's a different level of amateur, but are they that concerned by the amateur game? I don't think they are, to be honest, and I really, really want rugby to come back, but can I see it coming back anytime soon? No, not at the moment. Um, just a subject I want to get touched on as well before we progress. What did you think of? Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know if you was aware, but if you were, what did you think of? So, if you lived in a tier four, they were saying basically under 18s and below could mm. still could still train. Now, I know myself when I've been out a lot. <laughs> if there's anyone I've seen out, or, or particularly in groups, it's kind of been your your 14s and up. Now. I was quite surprised, you know, you're talking about 16, well, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds still able to train, play. And, you know, in them age groups, if you're lucky at a lot of clubs, you could have 
what, 30 players in an age group. Um, you know, that quite surprised me. I, I really didn't expect to see that in Tier 4. Um, I, know, I, think we'll, it, I just don't understand. I, I'm not criticising these parents, but if my children were of the age to be doing that and we're in a Tier 4, why are they even sending them to rugby? I know it sounds baffling. You've got kids. If you lived in Tier 4, I don't know if you do, would you send your kids to rugby train? I wouldn't. <laughs> no, mate, I wouldn't, to be honest with you. Not, not a chance. Um, I just think people are being so... I'm not saying I'm better than other people, but people are being so bloody stupid with this corona in my mind. Okay. And rugby's rugby. Unless you're getting paid, paid to live off it, then it's a hobby. Get back to it when the world's normal. Mm. I mean, I suppose devil's advocate, they're, they're probably thinking, I'm sending them to school, college, uni, whatever it might be. Um, you know, if, if my kids are get, if my kids were getting up that that up close and personal with children, other children like they are in rugby in school, then I'd probably be going to see their teacher. I reckon. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, so progressing us on, obviously we've touched on it, and I mean you, you've touched on it a moment ago with the championship. Um, going into the professional game, you know the championship quite, you know, quite likely isn't going to start now. I think they've said March. Mm. Um, now, I know Saracens have come out in the last few days saying about a, a potential mini league or mini tournament that they've created to play. Um, and I know they've looked at games against South Africa and so on. But, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen with the championship? What's your viewpoint? You know, we've got to, what are Saracens going to do? What impact is it going to have on the Six Nations? How, how do you see that going? Uh, I think there's two sides to this. You've got a, the one side Saracens need. The, you have... I think there's two types of views when it comes to Saracens. There's the one side of people that think the punishment should have been strip all the titles, just let them stay in the Premiership. Or there's the other side where people think Sodom, let them go down to the let them go down to the Championship, have a proper punishment. If that takes two years, that's two years. But let, I'll not just say Saracens in terms of like a base of people, but as a club, I'm not saying they're better than other clubs, but just say you've got a hundred employees in Saracens and then you've got 100 employees at an old established championship club like Bedford. Now, mm-hmm. I would say at least probably only maybe four or five out of the Bedford employees are full-time at the rugby club. Now, you could easily turn around and say at least nine out of ten, of, including this includes backroom staff, nine out of ten are full-time at Saracens. Now, when they're in the, champ- when they're in the premiership, they're in their bubbles. They're protecting the NHS and they're protecting themselves and other people by having tests every week, playing against players that have no, that aren't COVID because they're getting tested twice, twice a week. If all sport in Britain could do that, I'd have no problem with sport doing that. But then you go down, like I said to you in the, earlier, go to Bedford and just say you've got a guy called Andy who trains Tuesday and Thursday with Bedford, is a builder rest of the week. And he goes to Saracens and plays Saracens and not knowing he's got COVID and then gives the COVID to, say he's in a pack, you could easily give COVID to at least 11 of the people in, the, uh, in Saracens and those Saracens won't know their test, won't know they haven't got, won't know they've got Corona and then they could pass that on to another 11 people and another 11 people and then all of a sudden you've got a fully professional club basically on its knees because of one person, not saying it's his fault, because he's in an amateur club which isn't getting tested twice a week, if that makes sense. Mm. I just think they've made a massive mistake because I was thinking about the championship. The real problem with the championship at the moment is I know you've got Ealing, Trey, 12 finals, 12 blazers, whatever they're called now. They're up and coming, but 
when I was going through the eight years of pain as a Bristol supporter in the championship, when they got rele- when a team got from the premiership got relegated, it was always, well, it's either Bristol or the relegated team that's going up because Bristol were head and shoulders above everybody else. And then obviously the premiership team coming down were head and shoulders. But now the premiership team comes down, they're going back up straight away. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and because... Because it is amateur game, effective. I know oh, it's semi-pro, but what's semi-pro to amateur? Amateur semi-pro is just fifty quid in your back pocket and going to the gym two times extra a week. You ask me, but it's just a it's just a mess. And the onset is now is if they finish start the season in March and then it's delayed and delayed and they can't finish the season. What are they going to do with Saracens if they just bring them up and say, "Oh, league scrap, we'll bring Saracens up." Then what's the point of the championship? If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think the, the clubs like your Bedford, your Ealing, your Saracens, I suspect, you know, because I know particularly Bedford and um, Saris have got quite a big community departments and stuff. I, I, I suspect that they will um, have the finances to, you know, potentially look at sending their players for testing and stuff like that and getting the resources in for it. Um, equally, I know that they announced. Um, I, I'm not being argumentative. I'm sure it costs about 100 grand all these tests every other week for these Premiership clubs. Oh, yeah, I, no. I, I bet my mortgage on Bedford and Coventry, apart from Saracens, I bet my mortgage on 80%, 90%. Apart from Ealing, none of the other Championship clubs being able to afford that because they're all probably, yeah, no, they're all no, probably no, on their knees oh, already. Yeah, totally agree. You are looking at a very, very select handful. As I say, you know, in my mind, it was only them three, really. Mm. And just, um, I just think the whole situation where I'm quite passionate about the championship because I know it very well because I spent so many bloody years there. But when they go, the reality is you've got Bedford, probably one of the biggest teams in the championship. They've openly said mm-hmm. that they don't want to come up to their premiership. So, and then they go on about, oh, Cornish Parks, they're up and coming. They've been wanting to build a stadium. The bastards have been on about that stadium for 10 years and it's still not anywhere near being built. And this whole mm-hmm. whole rule about when you come up to um, the Premiership, you must have a big 10,000-seater stadium or whatever it is. Rubbish, in my opinion. Ealing and Saracens, I'd say Saracens got to come up anyway. Even if, if the league went on, Saracens wouldn't lose a game. Ealing are the only one that showed true desire to go up and the only ones that can really afford it. To just bring, at the end of the season, bring Saracens and Ealing up and shut it for two years and just let it all go back to normal because I'm telling you mate if they just if, if they don't bring Saracens back up next year even if the season doesn't finish they're then going to have to centrally contract all those England players for them to be able to play for England which in turn will cost the RFU a couple of million quid do you reckon for all these England players every year? Cool, yeah, Co- couple of million yeah. quid and they're not going to spend that where they can just go, sorry, championship, we've already cut half your funding. We're going to take the best team out of here. Sorry, boys. That's all that's going to happen. And it's going to make a mockery of it. Yeah. And to be fair, as you've said, every team that have gone down in my recent memory, beyond London Welsh, who pretty much folded, and yeah. Leeds Carnegie, that I believe are now Yorkshire Carnegie, beyond them, every other team that's gone down, as you said, yo yo straight back up. But London, uh, London Welsh, when they came up, they only came up because of the ridiculous playoff system when they beat Bristol in the final. Bristol won that league by about 20 points, if I remember, and they had two bad games and went up. And this is, like, as a Bristol fan at the moment, watching, I know we're going off tangent here, but you're watching Bristol and Exeter. Bristol 
spanked them. People went on about, oh, well, Wasps beat them, but it was a much stronger Exeter team and it was at Exeter. But the league, it's just a mess. It needs sorted out because you've got the coach, head coach of Exeter saying before the game and after the game, this isn't really an important game because they could lose the next four matches, finish fourth and probably will win the league. So if you're in the championship, you win the league, you go up. If you're in the Premiership, you win the league, you win the league. And I just, I'm just seeing this time. I know it's not going to happen because a, the chat, the playoffs, just in the especially in the Premiership, just produce more money, and I understand that. But I just, they could use this Corona time. I know it sounds an awful phrase, phrase, but they could use this Corona time to really clean shop and sort it out. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so progressing us on, I mean. Going into the, the, the 2021-22 season now, which is what it's more looking more realistically and more likely as to what it's going to be. Um, <clears throat> on an amateur, you know, grassroots level, personally, I mean, I as much as I didn't agree with the four contacts coming in, I really liked the rules they brought in, mm-hmm. in the sense of scrapping the scrum a bit, quick ball at the breakdowns, you know, they, the minimum number in the lineout was more to create more space in open field for attack and play. Um, you know, essentially, they, they kind of adopted the, the new COVID rugby league rules up to a large point of it. Um, I'd say I wouldn't be too adverse to seeing that continue into next season. And, and I, I, do you know what? I think it would make, even if it was just one season, I think it would make for a really, really interesting um, attacking and quite entertaining season and actually I think it could potentially bring back a lot of buzz and a lot of kind of hype for for the game that actually people may have lost with the extended time away mm. what you know what, what do you think how do you see it coming back in that respect for next season what As do you a, see if they do we go back to normal rules or do we keep the kind of changed rules I understand people's like like liking of the change rules and as a spectator sport it would probably be a much more enjoyable affair but um as a player i think rugby is one of the very few all-inclusive sports short fat muscular not muscular and by bringing in those rules for a season and for good rugby won't continue to be that sport because the five foot eight overweight player like myself won't be getting picked because why would you pick me, whose main job is scrumming, when you could pick someone who's a lot fitter and probably just as strong, but not in a such a, you know what I'm trying to say, who, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's not a scrummager basically. But why would you pick the fat props? You you don't need them. You'd end up having a you'll end up having a pack of eight eight back rowers, and rugby will die as an all inclusive game because I got in, I got made to go and play rugby because I was overweight, fifteen year old, and I fitted perfectly into tight head. Now. If they bring those rules in, where's the overweight 15-year-old going to fit in? Well, I mean, again, playing devil's advocate, I mean, for me, there's two ways of looking at it. One, which I believe is probably the more likely, you'll end up losing a lot of players. A lot of the, as you say, the the mid-30s to to 40s, 50s, old-school props that are hanging in on there for one last season will probably hang up their hat and retire. Uh, a lot of the guys, as you say, that are there of whatever age, that are there to purely scrum and that's all they believe they're good at and, and what they enjoy, mm-hmm. you'll probably lose. Um, but then, you know, again, you know, as I say, devil's advocate, mm-hmm. but the flip side of that, does it bring 
kind of really not just props, but I suppose to a little bit, you know, some second rows. Does, does it bring them on? Does it make them become better at their game? Does it develop them? Does it make props become more mobile? Does it force them to be a bit more mindful of their fitness, work on their core skills a bit? You know, as I say, just playing devil's advocate, you, you know, you've got two ways of going. Um, as I say, I, I believe, unfortunately, we'll go down route one and we'll lose players. But a, a route two wouldn't be too bad if it developed and, and brought players on. I, I see where you're coming from. And I do appreciate that. Route one, you know, as well as me, is the likely scenario because Joe Bloggs down sure. the road, he plays front row all his life at the age of 36. I ain't all of a sudden going to go to the gym and go, yeah, I'm really up for this. I'm going to play back row now, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, if they're sure. going to go down the way of making this the new game of rugby, they need to start at the young levels, as in, what's the first stage you play contact? 11, 10? Uh, under 10 so that, or that's, 9, That's two. when it's got to be started. And then bring it in for everybody else and almost shut the door on the rugby of now, if that makes sense, for the rugby of tomorrow. Because you watch... You watch the World I know it sounds daft and or during the war, but you watch the two thousand and three World Cup and like the ninety nine World Cup and the ninety five World Cup, there's not much difference between them. It's probably just a bit faster, a couple of rules and players are bigger. Now if you look at the twenty nineteen World Cup compared to that one, it's completely different. I know it sounds daft, it's a completely different game in terms of the actual monsters of people. Now, if you go forward twenty years, what's rugby gonna look at look like? If that makes sense, I think mm. what they should do personally at the at an amateur level, but maybe at a professional level more so, is because you might have you might have a five foot six kid like Colby and Shane Williams was. If they're watching rugby now and thinking, "God, look at the size of these monsters," I've got a chance. So what I would, I know we're going off tangent here, but like the future of the game, I'd really like to see weight limits brought in. If that makes sense, yeah. I'd love to see weight weight yeah. limits because. It's just the size of these players, even in the amateur game. When I started playing at fifth, well, when I started playing senior rugby at 17, and now when I played last time a couple of years ago, people absolutely got much, much bigger. I know it sounds daft, it must be, you know what I mean, but people just getting bigger and bigger, and it's not so much of an all inclusive sport. And with these new laws, it's going to just make it even more diverse, not di- less diverse. I know what you're saying. I must admit, I remember. Um kind of early on into my coaching, doing some seniors and, and coaching my senior stuff. And as a favour, I went and did some youth work at a at a local club. And uh, I believe, if I, if I remember rightly, it was agenda 16s. And I remember getting down there and seeing some of their players. And I was just thinking, my God, you're absolute mutants. No. You know, imagine you coming up into the... You know, up into the seniors when you when you're ready, sort of thing. And I'm thinking, God, you, you know, you'd batter me around, sort of. Yeah. Thing. I'm, I'm not the smallest prospect, but neither am I the biggest. No. And, and you know, as you say, as that progresses, you know, again, we're talking five years ago. Mm. We're five years further down the line, and as you say, five, ten years further down the line again. What sort of players are we going to have coming through, as you say, regarding size, build, nothing else? We, you know, we have the potential to be playing some teams that are just utter mutants. And my main concern and worry about if these new rules, which, to be honest, 
my honest opinion is they don't think up these massive new set of rules without long term liability, like long term plan. If that makes sense, because mm-hmm. I watched the game, watched Bristol game one weekend against Exeter, and I reckon about ten minutes of the clock running must have been just scrums being reset, scrums being reset, and oh, if you just say, I know it's different. Just say the fans were there, and I took say my wife who'd never watched a game of rugby before and she comes and watches that she'll be like what's going on here this is absolutely boring for the purists like me I think it's brilliant the scrum tussle I think it's brilliant but it, it just ruins the game in some aspect I think and yeah I mean I, I can see whatever rules they take I think we're going to have the Marmite effect I think we're going to have some you know they're going to absolutely love it thrive under it and think do you know what this is amazing where it's been all my career mm. and as I say I think unfortunately you can have others to go do you know what it's been a good you know it's been a good time it's been a blast mm. but that's me get my boots and as I say I hope not to see that I hope to see people giving well, it I just, go I just think playing I know in the Midlands it's not a huge rugby country that rugby county in the Midlands if you called it that where it's good out to Bristol it's massive <laughs> and then parts of Cornwall it's big and then the east it's big but I just think the the new group of players coming through, like, where are they? Where are they? Like, I go down to, I sometimes look online at my old club in Bristol and it's it's not their fault, but it's still the same first team by one or two changes, which is natural. It's still the same first team from seven years ago from when I moved up here. It's like, I look at sometimes when being absolutely throbbing and just looking at local rugby. Just looking at the team sheets from week after week, year after year, and it's it's still the same team sheets, and now these children just aren't coming through. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you are right. You are right. It's even the same. It's the same for football uh, as well, though, isn't it? It's like, oh, for sure, it's it's definitely a conundrum. I mean, when I came to to Starport in in two thousand and ten, Digger was the prop then. Yeah, Yeah, Digger's the prop now. It's just, I just, (laughs) I don't see what how small small clubs are going to get out of this because this lockdown it's been bad for all clubs obviously but I think it's been worse personally for the larger say like the level 5 the level 4 the level 6 clubs than it has been for like say like the level 8 or level 9 because they're still having these clubs like say Bridge North or Stalbridge or not so much DK but DK are on the rise and say um, mm-hmm. they've got employees now they've I know it doesn't happen, but they, it does happen. They do pay these players, like whether it's a car or whether it's a contract that you've got to train three times a week and play and get this money. But what happens to those contracts? Do they become null and void because of COVID? Or do they still have to pay these players or pay the leases on these cars? And... Well, I mean, the money must be coming from somewhere. I mean, the, a club that I was, I was head coach at a few years ago um, changed their director of rugby in September, and the advert for the new director of rugby was thirty what, what grand a year. A club in Norfolk. Thirty grand a year. Um, I know that is. Yeah. What's the national so, average wage? Is it like twenty five, twenty six? And that. Yeah, and they're, they're in London too, which is probably the equivalent of mids two. That's ridiculous. That's not even like mids Premier or anything like that. That's. That's absolutely ridiculous, that is. And that is, again, fundamentally a problem because if you've got a guy who's getting paid 30 grand, which fair play to him, he must be good at his job, and I have no qualms with that. But when he comes to picking a side, who's he going to pick? 
he's going to pick the biggest. Maybe not necessarily oh, yeah. not necessarily the, the most talented, but he'll pick the biggest, and that is where you might have a Colt who's brilliant, 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 but he won't get a look in the senior team because he's not six foot five and equally as wide. Does that make no, sense? That's not, not just me being a whiny old man, but I just no, think that's the problem. No, I know. Yeah. Well, when you're 30 grand a year, your head coach has got to win you games at all costs. Otherwise, how, you're not how is a club, job. how are they affording that? What are they sponsored by, Harrods? I mean, how, <laughs> how are they affording that? That's like, that's probably the, that's probably the turnover for most of the clubs, low, uh, let's say level, level five and below, that is, if that makes sense. That's, ma- that's madness. Yeah. Mm. Oh, mate, yeah. I don't yeah, fancy his tax is. bill, though, no matter much, how much he enjoys rugby. <laughs> Very true. Um, mate, that rounds us off lovely this week. Um, really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm sure, as always, there'll be plenty uh, that have agreed and plenty that don't agree with us. Um, and actually, you know, it'd be nice to hear others' opinions on it. Yeah. But, um Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always available. Um, Yeah, we hope to have you back on soon, mate. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye.